Welcome to Dev and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Roostrak. I'm here with my special guest, Cleet Bulak. Welcome. Hey, it's a pleasure being on your show, Melissa. Now, here's the cool thing. You did a lot of uh, conversations with teachers and students in West Virginia. Yes. I'm wondering if this was a, during the time when one of my cousins was a teacher down there. You're wondering what? If it was during the time my cousin was still teaching down there. Oh, uh, that was in 2002. Mm, I think she when was. I had the contract. Well, I think she might have retired by then, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a cool little coincidence. Yeah. Um, so you got the contract. What was the contract exactly for? Well, the uh, back in the late 1900s and early 2000s, every state in the United States mandated that schools had to have a character education program to improve the behavior of the students. So in 2002, the governor of West Virginia uh, got Congress, their Congress, to pass a law mandating character education in every school district in the state, in every school in the state. And they put out a bid to see if every school, in fact, had a character education program. So... I was, I was the. Uh, I had been on a number of uh, uh, conventions talking about character education and how to evaluate character education. So, on my website, there is a survey that measures how well a school is doing character education curriculum in their school. And that survey is free. Uh, Anybody can go on and get that survey and evaluate what's happening in their school on 28 character traits, which is basically what the number of character traits there are. Um, And I've broken it down into 16 sets of character traits. So... You take, like, responsibility, dependability, and accountability as one set. Um, So um, I got the contract. Matter of fact, I was the only bidder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It was a six-figure bid. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have made it a seven-figure bid, and I would have gotten it. Uh, But anyway, I spent five months. Uh, in my RV going from mountain to hill to hollow and river valley in the state of West Virginia, interviewing thousands of kids and students. And based on that, I've written two books. Uh, They are both on uh, Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble uh, on how to improve your schools, how to create a high-performing school with good climate and culture, and a good character education program. That's that's my background on that. Other than that, um, I'm 81 years old. Uh, I retired in 03 as a college professor, and I've been doing these talk shows ever since. 
and uh, I, and I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm a very young, eighty-one year old. Okay. Oh, I understand that. There's old 81 and there's young 81. It all depends on how you feel. Yeah. Well, how are you doing? Oh, I am wonderful. I try to get this information out to many people as I'm friends with several um, teachers and educators across the U.S., which is wonderful because now they have an outlet to get your survey hey, let's improve the schools since we might go back next year. Say that again? Let's improve the schools since we might actually be back in school next year. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we have time to relook at our educational programs. So if we have time to look at them, let's improve them and implement new roles because all the rules are going to be going out the window and changing anyways. Yeah, that's true. There's a a number of other surveys on my website. One is on bullying behavior. Um, I have worked with uh, schools across the United States on how to improve uh, improve bullying behavior in their schools, and this survey identifies uh, what kind of bullying occurs where it occurs, how it gets reported, and all that. Um, Then there's another survey that measures the culture and climate of the schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a survey that measures the leadership behavior of the principal. That's a dynamite survey because it, it, it asks the teachers what they think of the behavior of their principal. And I think there's a survey that measures levels of openness and trust. Those are the two variables that are the weakest in our school system. Most teachers are not open with their administrators because they're afraid. Right. Most teachers do not trust their principal. And the same occurs between the teachers. There's so much competition between the teachers for which one gets the best test scores, who's the teacher of the year, teacher of the month, and on and on, that they don't really cooperate together. So anyway, that's what I found is wrong with our schools. And, of course, the biggest factor is the human relations in our school systems is awful. Oh, yes. Or are awful. Yes. Anyway, where do you want to go with this? Oh, we just have an open forum, so we're having actually a really good conversation. Now, you do have several um, surveys. Do you have one for the superintendent? Well, that would be leadership behavior. Okay. Uh, Well, actually, yeah, I do. Uh, Here's my favorite. Um, And it's not a survey. But it's one that I used when I was a school superintendent. Um, I say, Dr. Buhok is a good school superintendent because, complete that sentence as many times as you wish. Then the second sentence is, Dr. Buhok would be a better school superintendent if, complete that sentence as many times as you want. 
the uh, this is called force field analysis. It was developed by uh, some guy back. Oh, I'm having a senior moment here. I know the guy's name. <clears throat> what are the forces for and the forces against you being a good school superintendent? So when I say he is a good school superintendent because that identifies the forces for, then when I say who would be a better school superintendent if identifies the forces against. So when the teachers respond to that, you get an uninhibited, you know, it's it's done um, with no name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually, you know, would have a uh, a meeting with my uh, all of my teachers and principals, <clears throat> and the paper would get passed out. And at the top of the paper, it would say, "Complete these two sentences as often as you wish." And I would say. Uh, who who will be my volunteer to collect all these papers? And I say, okay, when everybody's finished, please pass your paper over to that person and do not sign it. <clears throat> and then I would leave the room. So they could respond to it knowing that their response would be um, confidential. And the crazy crazy thing was, when I did this the first time, would be a better person if I did this as a teacher, as a principal, as a school superintendent, and as a college professor. And as the years went by, uh, the forces for increased, and the forces against dropped to the point where there was virtually no suggestion on what I could do to be a better teacher, principal, school superintendent, or college professor. Does that make any sense to you? No, no, that makes perfect sense. I wish more people would do this. This is why I asked some of these questions. Because we have schools, from what I remember being a student, because I've never been an educator, was horrible when I was in school back in the 90s. Now, you go to now, and they're tremendously worse. I mean, I'm a mother now. I work, or I try to work with my daughter's teachers as much as possible because she has special needs. But it's like pulling teeth. If you're not in this little mold, they don't want to do anything. That's true. At least from a mother's point of view. Actually, that uh, particular technique... Uh, can be used at any level. If you're a minister and you want feedback from the people in your church, is a good minister because, be a better one if, uh, no matter what your position is, even as a parent, you can go to your kids and say, um, mom is a good mother because mom would be a better mother if. in marriage counseling, uh, which I've done some of that, I will I will go to the uh, the man and I would say, I would love my wife better if I would love my wife. I love my wife because I would love my wife better if 
or the relationship with my wife is good because the relationship with my wife would be better if. Then you go to the spouse and you say, the relationship with my husband is good because the relationship with my husband would be better if. So it's a method of evaluating whatever you're doing in any position. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? No, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, Okay, the guy who came up with this force field analysis and at the University of Idaho and uh, what year was that? <clears throat> in the 90s, I took a one-week course on force field analysis. It was done by Kurt Lewin, L-E-W-I-N. Now, if you get on the web and look that up, his system is very complicated. Uh, my system is very simple, two sentences. Sometimes we overthink, but that's what we get known for is our overthinking yeah. to make some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, you have done so many different things. It's like, okay, I believe I seen in there somewhere you taught German. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the largest German department in the entire United States, I started out teaching three classes. After seven years, we had 25 classes of German in our school, high school, one high school, and five German teachers. Uh, We had a method of teaching German (coughs) that focused on speaking it, not the grammar. The grammar in German is awful, uh, very complicated. Uh, But the speaking language is so easy. Because there are so many words that are very similar. For example, the word swim in English is schwimmen in German. The word drink in English is called trinken in German. And on and on with the similarities of many of the words in English with the words in German. So the kids, the kids just ate it up. And... Uh, <clears throat> We went from eight classes of German, myself and the other German teacher, to 25 in seven years. It was amazing the way the kids fought to get into our classrooms. That, okay. <clears throat> Doing German a little bit here and there for translating for books, I can tell you the written language is hard, but speaking it is fun because, a lot, like I said, a lot of the words are similar. So mm-hmm. when you go on the approach of speaking it and not looking at the grammar, it's actually a lot easier to learn it that way than just yeah. to, oh, okay, here's a spelling test. Here's a, <coughs> what are you we lead, reading? Are we going to learn how to spell every word in a dictionary? I mean, we mm. look at it for Spanish as well. They teach you how to write and how to do the grammar, give you a spelling test. Everything is on paper. Nothing's actually taught. Yeah. Well, we used a lot of music uh, in our classes, too. So, you know, we would sing a song every day, uh, every class. We would start by singing a German song. Mm -hmm. 
And, of course, a lot of the German songs, the traditional ones, were about drinking, and the kids loved to sing about drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Uh, <clears throat> and on Friday afternoons, the last 20 minutes, we would open all the uh, the windows in our classroom, <clears throat> and the entire class, we would spend singing. And, of course, everybody in the school would hear what fun we were having in our German class. Uh, and, you know, you learn a lot of vocabulary with music. Right. So um, it was a way to teach vocabulary in a pleasant way. And, of course, <clears throat> there's a lot that has been written about music in classrooms, and many teachers today uh, play um, background music in their classrooms as they teach. So, yeah, music music in classrooms is wonderful. Because what it does is opens up both sides of the brain. You have your analytical side and you have your creative side. When you open yeah. up the creative side, then your analytical side opens as well. Yeah, very true. <laughs> I, I don't work on anything unless I'm playing music. Now, when I was in school, I was listening to classical because classical is said to open the brain and you retain more. Right. So, in all the genres, anyways. Yeah, the recommendation of people who write about music in the classroom recommend classical music as a background music to kind of relax the brain, mm-hmm. open it up. <clears throat> so, I know you have the two books out. Are you working on a third? Um, no. No, I, I have written these two books. One is on how to create a high-performing school climate and culture. Mm-hmm. That's book number one. Uh, it has five chapters in it. Uh, the first chapter describes the four different types of school cultures and climate that I found in West Virginia. Uh, <clears throat> there is the traditional school culture and climate that focuses on um, punishment and reward uh, and rules, enforcing rules and controlling uh, the teachers are controlled, the kids are controlled, it's a highly controlled environment, and it has a poor school culture and climate in most schools. 75% of the schools in the United States are like that. Then you have what I call enlightened traditional, where the focus is on rewards uh, and not punishment. Punishment's still there and control is still there. But the emphasis is on what people can do to get rewarded. So the student of the month, uh, who gets to be the teacher's helper, uh, who gets to eat lunch with the teachers, and on and on with the rewards, and who is the teacher of the month, and so forth. So the focus is on rewards. Now that's basically uh, oh, 15 to 20% of the schools in the United States. And more are moving toward that particular um, type of school culture and climate. Then you have <clears throat> a third school culture and climate that you find very few of. 
maybe two to five percent of the schools in the United States. I call it the laissez-faire, or I, I can also call it the loosey-goosey, mm-hmm. uh, where <clears throat> the rules are not enforced, and uh, that type of school is awful. And I have been in schools like that uh, when I was in West Virginia. And then you have the fourth type of school, and less than 1% of the schools in the United States are that type of school. I was in one of those schools in West Virginia, and I was in many classrooms in West Virginia that used it. And basically, here's how it goes. The teacher goes to the kids and says, hey, guys, I'm tired of spending my time correcting your behavior. I'll tell you what, if you will help me control each other's behavior and your own, I will give you a reward. Now, in some classrooms, the reward was a walk down to the local uh, McDonald's, and they would get a, a free ice cream or something that mm-hmm. the local McDonald's, who was their business partner, would uh, give to the students who had behaved themselves. <clears throat> In some cases, uh, the local bank uh, gave a $25 uh, uh, bond to students who... So the kids started controlling their own behavior. And if somebody acted out, somebody, uh, the teacher would go to correct the kid, and somebody in the class, hey, teach, we'll take care of it. And they would correct the student's behavior. So when you've got that kind of thing going on in a school, you have a different kind of school culture and climate where kids control each other, where when the bully is bullying another kid, the kids don't all circle around and watch. Instead, they will intervene and stop the bully. Because in most schools, bullying behavior does not get stopped by the students. They wait for the teacher or administrator to come and correct it. Does that make sense to you? Oh, okay. I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> okay, growing up in the 90s, bullying was horrible. Um, completely 100% pro-anti-bullying, anything that we can do to stop it. it yeah, that's... More, I, I, I'm so thankful for my daughter because she does step in when she sees bullying happening, and she will step in to correct the bully. She might not do it the correct way, but she does step in. <laughs> that's, uh, that's amazing because in most cases the bystanders just stand by and watch. <clears throat> and in some cases, many cases, they will join in with the victim, and the the victim gets bullied by more than one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I have a technique. I have a technique. Uh, I think that's in chapter six of the second book. The second book uh, is. Um, enhancing the school culture and climate that was created in book number one. And part of that is how do you stop bullying behavior in a school? And here's the technique. It's called the sociogram. And you can look it up. 
get on the web and look up sociogram, it goes way back to the 50s when it was first uh, described on how to do it. But it's so simple to do <clears throat> as a teacher in a classroom. You go to the kids and say, all right, guys, uh, <clears throat> if you had a birthday party, who would you invite to your birthday party? Here, here's uh, three by five cards. Um, identify three students you would invite to your birthday party. And every kid gets three cards. Mm -hmm. And I say, does anybody want more cards? If they, you know, want to invite others. Mm -hmm. So I get the cards and I divide them into common piles. So I find out who the most popular kid is in the classroom. And lo and behold, I find that there are two kids who are not invited. Those are what we call the isolate. Isolate. They are isolated. They have no friends. Well, who's the bully going to pick on? The one that don't have friends. Right. Now, as a counselor in a school, you can do this for the entire school uh, and find out who the isolates are. <clears throat> Once you identify the isolates, you go to your leadership team and say, hey, guys, I need some help. I've got this kid in our school who does not have any friends, uh, and here's the name of that person. I need one of you to become their friend. Which one of you wants to do that? And I'll find out you know, which boy or girl on my leadership team. And most schools have got leadership teams in their school. That's a group of students they go to who are the role models in the school. And you use them to get feedback on what's going on in your school. So you have a monthly meeting with them, and you say, okay, guys, <coughs> oh, here's my favorite technique that I used many, many times. It's called the PMI, <clears throat> positive, minus, and interesting. Hey, guys, I want you to think back on last month and identify something you saw that you thought was positive or that happened to you that was positive, something that happened to you or you saw that was a minus, something that happened to you or you saw that was interesting. Think about that, and when you're ready, give me a thumbs up, and I'll let you report out. So I give them three, four, five minutes, and I say, okay, um, give me a positive, and I point to one of my leaders. And I would go around to each of my leaders, and I'd have them identify a positive. Then I would go around to each of my leaders and identify a minus. Then I would go to each of them and identify an interesting. Now, what's interesting about this process is it helps you understand what's going through the heads of these kids because they get to brag positive. They get to complain a minus. Then they get to share something interesting. You find out what's going on in any group, in any setting whether it's a Kiwanis club, a Rotary club, a church setting, a church meeting, um, a classroom, or your leadership team. <clears throat> in many cases, 
And whenever I started the meeting, I would do, I would end up, let's do a PMI, because I wanted to understand what was going on in the minds and feelings of the people that were I was dealing with. Now, if I had a group of, say, 100 teachers, I would divide them up into groups of five, 20 groups. And I would say, okay, within your group, share the PMI. So I would go around and listen to each group. And then I would have each group report out one positive, one minus, and one interesting. The most significant thing that was shared in that group. But in doing that, I allowed all of the teachers to understand what was going on in our school. Positive, minus, and interesting. It was a way of getting them to listen to each other, to understand each other, to trust each other, to be open with each other. And it helped me understand the human relations that were going on within my school. Does that make any sense to you? It does. And it's something that is much needed in any school, any group of where we congregate. It could, like I said, even Girl Scout troops. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would work. Because yeah. it, it keeps us open. Yep. And it's so easy. To, it's so easy to do, and it just relaxes the entire group. And it makes everybody feel good mm-hmm. about the, the upcoming meeting. Right. So they're relaxed. They're open, and they um, they get a better understanding of what's going on within the group within the school. Exactly. It's a great act, great activity. I've used it many many. Many, many times. <clears throat> well, we are almost out of time, and I would love to keep you talking about this forever because there's so many topics just within what you wrote about that needs to be implemented, not just in schools, but in every workplace. Well, let me share, let me share one other technique. <clears throat> Servant leadership is what needs to happen in a school. Self-serving leadership is what tends to happen. So many teachers come across as self-serving. Many administrators come across as self-serving. Now, here's my favorite technique to come across as a servant leader. I would go to all of my students at the beginning of the year, all of my teachers when I was a principal, all of the teachers when I was a school superintendent, and I would give them three three-by-five cards or four-by-six or whatever, five-by-seven, whatever you want to do, or more than three if you want. <clears throat> and I would go to the, my students and say, okay, guys, I'm your teacher for the year. I'd like to know what you expect of me as your teacher. And they'd look at me like I was crazy. I mean, how many teachers go to to the kids and say, what do you guys expect of me? How many principals go to the teachers and say, all right, guys, I need to know what you expect of me as your principal. I'd go to them, I need to know what you expect of me as your superintendent. I need to know what you expect of me as your college professor. And I would get their expectations. Now, what what is the purpose of that? I'm establishing a relationship with them. I am here to listen to you. I trust you. I'm going to take this risk 
to find out what you expect of me. I am open to you. I'm listening to you. I trust you. Okay. <clears throat> when you look out there today, a teacher in a classroom, you've got Latinos, you've got Orientals, you've got Blacks, you've got Whites, you've got Rich, you've got Poor. They all come from different cultures, and you don't know what's in their minds, what they expect of you as your, their teacher. So when you do this, you find out the underlying culture in that classroom, what the kids believe and believe should happen in that classroom. So it helps you understand what's going on out there when you start teaching. Does that make any sense to you? It does. This is something okay. I've had one boss when I was working do this with me. What do you expect of me as your employer? I stayed with that company regardless of what my pay was because that boss, that owner, that employer was open and listened to their employees, all the concerns. He may not have been able to address every one of them, but he listened. That's true. And he would, out of everyone I've ever worked for, he was my favorite employer. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's amazing. Yeah. One last time, where can our <clears throat> listeners find you in your two books? Um, well, they're both on Amazon uh, and Barnes and & Noble. They run about $25 a piece, the paperbacks. Um, everything in there that I have written is basically common sense. Um, you know, I haven't shared anything with you that... Sounds complicated, have I? No. No, everything is very simple. Uh, chapter one in book two is about the five basic communication skills. Chapter two is conflict management, the five conflict management styles, and how to deal with conflict, how to avoid conflict. And then the rest of the chapters basically focus on uh, developing openness and trust. The PMI activity is described in there. Uh, sociogram is described in there. A lot of activities on how to improve levels of openness and trust are in those chapters. Uh, there is one complicated chapter in that second book that I did not write. My co-author wrote it, and uh, I tweaked it as much as I could. <laughs> but when you get to that chapter, you will know that it's not me that wrote it. <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, well, this has been quite interesting. Um, I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing all your information because, like I said, it's much-needed information. We're restructuring everything from schools to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Why not? take some of what you have in your books, the surveys, and restructure correctly. Yeah, if you get on Amazon and put in my name, Bulock Cletus R., uh, my books should pop up. <clears throat> I have written a third book uh, about my hometown, what it was like growing up there and so forth, but um, I don't think 
most people would be interested. But if you want to find out what it's like to grow up in a town that is all German, all Catholic, all farmers, um, that's the story of my hometown. Well, that sounds wonderful. And again, thank you for coming on the show. And for listeners, happy reading. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure interacting with you. Melissa. You as well, and Please feel free, if you ever want to come back on the show, just let me know you have all of my information. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I can reschedule anytime you want. There's lots of stuff we could talk about in human relations that we have not gotten into today. Exactly. Like what, it, what is openness? What is trust? Uh, what are the conflict management skills? What are the communication skills? So we can easily go an hour on human relations. <clears throat> oh, that that would be an interesting hour because human relations right now sucks. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> can't even shake hands. No, you can't. <clears throat> mm-hmm. so, thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll talk again. Okay. Melissa. Have a, have a Thank wonderful you. day. Bye.